For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Our Father God, we pray that we would receive your word as it is, the word of God and not of men. Help us to think hard so that we might understand your word, but not to sit in judgment on it. Father, we pray that by your grace we would receive your word with faith, that we would repent of the sins that are exposed, and we would trust in the Lord Jesus who is revealed in your word. And so we ask that you would help those reading and preaching now, that they would proclaim your word faithfully and truly. Amen. Uh, Welcome again. My name is Richard. I'm on the staff here. We're going to have the reading in just a second. Uh, Before we do, uh, I'm going to do a quick recap. Actually, slightly differently this evening, because we're taking up the story of Joseph. In this section of the story of Joseph in particular, the drama is in how the characters are interacting with each other. So we've got five readers, so we can have the different voices of the different pieces. It's slightly different for us in the summer. Uh, But before we get there... Uh, if you've not been here or you've forgotten in the last week or it's a while since you've seen the musical, uh, this is what's been going on in the story of Joseph. Uh, so Joseph, of course, was a brat. Uh, Eleven brothers around him and he was the brat, uh, which didn't get better when God gave him dreams saying, one day you'll be in charge and your family will bow down to you. That just made him a bit more of a brat uh, to the point where his brothers decided, let's kill him. Uh, actually, let's be a little bit more lenient. Let's just sell him as a slave. Uh, so Joseph, he's off to Egypt, where he's falsely accused of rape and put in prison. So ten years he spends in prison. Until Pharaoh has some dreams as well. Joseph isn't the only one who can do it. Pharaoh has some dreams, doesn't know what they mean. Wheat, cows, what's going on with that? Uh, Joseph, God gives Joseph the ability to interpret the dream, to tell Pharaoh. For seven years, there's going to be prosperity, food, tons of it. Store it up, because for seven years, there's going to be famine. It's going to be a mess. And Pharaoh says, brilliant, you can be in charge of that. In fact, you can be second in command of Egypt. Off we go. Uh, And that's what we've got to so far in the story. At which point, it's worth saying, the musical isn't always theologically very tight, but at this point it gets it right. That could be a happy ending, perfect place to stop the show. Joseph has the royal spot about as high as he can go, but I'm sure that Jacob and his other sons have crossed your mind. How had famine hit the family Joseph left behind? Find page 47, follow along as we find out. So that's Genesis chapter 42 and 43. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued. I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. 
We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you. You are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your numbers to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison, so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back back to your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified, and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them, since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other, trembling, and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, The man who is lord over the land spoke harshly to us, and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We were twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me, so I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of us of of my sons to death if I do not bring him to you. Entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in sorrow. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little more food. 
But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, Why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How were we to know he would say, Bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel his father, Send the boy along with me, and we will go at once, so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouth of your sack. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver, and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare dinner. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him, and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, We were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as his slaves and take our donkeys. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. Please, sir, they said, we came down here the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver, the exact weight, in the mouth of his sack. So we have brought it back with us. We have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our, uh, so we don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon, because they had heard that they were to eat there. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed low to pay him honor. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out and, controlling himself, said, Serve the food 
They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. This is God's word. Thank you for reading that. Selfishness, greed, and jealousy. Those are three things. Let's be honest, when you see them in other people, they're pretty unpleasant. When you stop and notice them in yourself, it's even more unpleasant. Selfishness, greed, jealousy. It's not an enjoyable thing to see in someone else, and certainly not in yourself. Which means that this evening's story, this evening's sermon, isn't a particularly pleasant story. It isn't a particularly pleasant sermon, because selfishness and greed and jealousy are exactly what's in the spotlight in these chapters of Genesis. Actually, that's nearly right. Slightly more precise. In these chapters of Genesis, there's a cure offered, help offered for selfishness, for greed, for jealousy. If you've been here over the last few weeks, you'll have noticed that those three things are big in Jacob's family. Selfishness, greed, jealousy. Uh, In Jacob's family, you see what it looks like if those things are taken to the extreme. If you have a family that's defined by selfishness, greed, and jealousy, you end up with a family that is ugly. You end up with a family that is willing to take one of their brothers and sell them as a slave to get rid of them. And so in one sense, particularly the early chapters of the story of Joseph and Genesis, are there to show us just how ugly those things are. The things that we sometimes see in ourselves, but often just try to ignore because we don't like knowing that they're there. But they're there to expose them, to say, we can't live happily with them, we need to get rid of them. That's in the early chapters, but here, here there's help. Here there's a promise that God has a plan to deal with those things, with selfishness, with greed, with jealousy. uh, Let's get into the story to see what that plan is. Uh, Basically, in these two chapters, we have two trips by the brothers up to Egypt to get food. Two trips, one in chapter 42, one in chapter 43. And in chapter 42, as they travel, they're met by the harsh face of Joseph. If you've got the outline, it says a harsh faith at the top. That would be a different talk. Uh, It should say the harsh face, a harsh face of Joseph. And in chapter 43, a hidden plan. So 42, a harsh place. Face. <laughs> Fill in your own word. You can choose. A harsh face is what I'm doing. Brilliant. Uh, let's read it. Verse 1 of chapter 42. When Jacob learned there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob didn't send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons are among those who went to buy grain, but for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You're spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. This is a perfectly normal day 
for Joseph as he wakes up, perfectly normal day, overseeing the grain distribution in Egypt. So he's wandering around the stalls as he does of a day. He's bantering with the guy who sells you know, the overpriced cloaks with pictures of the pyramids on to the foreign traders. Uh, he told us in chapter 41, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's house. His life, his head, his heart is in Egypt. It's a perfectly normal day. But it only takes an instant for all of that to be turned upside down. It's a normal day, just like any other, just a normal group, ten foreign traders bowing down in front of him, showing respect, except as they lift their heads, he just notices the shape of this one's nose, the scar on this one's cheek from that running with a wolf all those years ago, and he realizes that in an instant his past has caught up with him forever. But as you read the story, he must have held it in astonishingly well, because they don't get any idea that anything odd is going on. They just think, here's another Egyptian official that we've got to deal with. You can understand their confusion. They hadn't seen Joseph for 20 years. Back then, he'd have had the long hair and the beard of a Hebrew. Now he's presumably clean-shaven, bald. 20 years later, he's speaking through an interpreter. They have no idea who he is. And actually, for us to understand this story, we need to grasp that right at the beginning. See, three times in this paragraph, in verse... Uh, 7 and in verse 8, we get the word recognize. This whole story only works if Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph. They don't have a clue what's going on, but Joseph, and only Joseph, gets to see the big picture. And so this little section of the story of Joseph, kind of chapters 42 to 45, it's like a mini version of the whole story. So we've been saying as we go through the story of Joseph, the big message is what's called the doctrine of God's providence. That is that God, he sees the whole picture. And out of the confusing and surprising and painful details, he's weaving a story that none of us would ever have guessed. The story is going somewhere because God is writing it, because God is directing it. That's what the whole story of Joseph is about, God's providence. And in this section... Chapters 42 to 45. It's like Joseph is in God's place. He is the one who knows things that the brothers don't. He's the one who sees the big picture. And the things he does, they're surprising, they're confusing, they're painful to the brothers at times. To us, we don't get what's going on, what he's doing. But he has a plan. The story is going somewhere because Joseph is directing it. And so the way that Joseph acts towards his brothers in this section gives us a picture of the way that Jesus acts towards us. Which probably isn't too surprising that Joseph gives us a picture of Jesus. Here is the man who was sold by his brothers to his death for a bag of silver, but who God's rescued and is put on the throne and is using to save the world. Every detail of the story of Joseph gives us a picture of the story of Jesus. Sold and betrayed and rescued and enthroned and ruling. And so today in particular, we see how does Jesus deal with those who've ignored him, who've despised him, who've betrayed him, once he's given power over them, once they're in his hands, and he can do anything he wants. That's tonight's story. So uh, let's push on with the story, see how Joseph does treat them. Uh, you see in verse 9, it says that Joseph remembered his dreams about them. He remembers that dream from all those years ago that his 11 brothers would bow down in front of him. At the time, none of them believed it, but through a story that none of us would have guessed, none of us would have written, that's come true. God has done exactly what he'd promised. Well, it's not quite exactly yet. 
because God promised 11 bound down in front of him. Only 10 of them are there. Benjamin's still at home. And so Joseph hatches a plan. He pushes them. He says, you're spies. You're here to see where we're vulnerable, where we're weak. He keeps pushing them until they reveal, no, no, we, we're brothers. We have a father. We have a younger son. And Joseph has what he, what he needs. He puts him in prison for three days to cool down. And we're going to pick it up at verse 18. Up till now, all they've seen is the harsh face of Joseph. We're going to pick it up at verse 18. On the third day, third day of prison, Joseph said to them, do this and you'll live for I fear God. If you're honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Then they said to one another, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They didn't realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. Now I read that and I think, isn't that exactly how we react? When things go wrong and something bad happens, God's punishing me. God's rubbing my face in something. In the words of the theologian Fran Healy, why does it always rain on me? Is it because I lied when I was 17? No. Uh, but for you, isn't that the question we ask? Is it because of what? When I was what? I mean, you can fill in the blanks for your own life. Is God just taking another chance to punish me for that, to rub my face in that? That's how they react. I think it's how we react. The question here is, is Joseph doing that? I mean, you can understand it. He's been 20 years in Egypt, 12 years in prison because these guys hated him because they sold him as a slave. Is he now, now that he has the chance, now that he has the power, getting his vengeance? Well, if only the brothers could have read verse 24. He, that's Joseph, turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them bound before their eyes. Behind the harsh face... Joseph weeps out of love for his brothers. And then he comes back in the room having adjusted his mascara. Is that right? I think whenever I see pictures of ancient Egyptians, they always seem to have mascara on. I don't know. Anyway, he does whatever he has to do, so he's not obviously cried. He comes back in as though nothing's happened. They see nothing but a harsh face. They have no idea what's really going on. And so at the end of the chapter, they slope off back to Canaan. They take a long time coming back up the garden path because they're dreading the moment they have to tell Dad, you've lost another son. They report it like this in verse 30. The man who is lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spies. Simeon's in prison in Egypt. Our money's back in our sacks. That looks like we're thieves. We can't go back without Benjamin. We're in trouble. He was harsh to us. That's what they report, because at, that, at this point, that's all they know. All they've seen is the harsh face of this man. And so now they wait in Canaan. They wait as the nine sacks of grain that they've brought back become five, and become three, and become one. And they've still seen nothing but the harsh face of Joseph. They have no idea that behind that face more is going on, that there is a hidden plan. So chapter 42, the first trip up and the harsh face. And then in chapter 43, 
we see that Joseph has a hidden plan. There is something going on behind the scenes. So the plan's worked out in chapter 43, but it's actually chapter 42 that tells us what the plan is. Uh, So Joseph says a couple of times, verse 15, 16 in chapter 42, that he's going to test them to see whether they're honest or not. Now they think he means, I'm going to find out if you're really spies, do you really have a younger brother? Joseph doesn't need to know that. He knows that. He grew up with them. But Joseph's testing them for an honesty, an integrity that runs deeper than that. Joseph and God acting through Joseph. In this story, Joseph is kind of in the place of God. Wants to see them change. He wants to see them change from the selfish and greedy and jealous bunch that they were. He wants to see them change. And it's probably worth it at this point for us, because we're not going to leave the application all to the end of what this means for us, because we're going to do as we go through. It's probably good just to work out before we come into this chapter and to be clear that that is Jesus' plan for us too. What Joseph wants for his brothers in this chapter, in this section, is what Jesus wants for us today. And so to see that, in the New Testament, uh, in Acts chapter 3, Peter is in Jerusalem, he's preaching to a bunch of uh, people in Jerusalem, just a few weeks after Jesus was killed. So in the crowd, he knows there are people, men and women, who shouted for Jesus' death, who screamed for him to be crucified. And so when he's preaching, he starts with the bad news. The Jesus who you killed... God gave him life. God raised him to heaven. God's put him on the throne. He's ruling all things. One day you'll meet him as judge. And so we and they, humanity collectively, we're in the situation of the brothers in chapter 42. The Jesus who collectively humanity ignored and hated and sold has become the Lord on the throne who can do anything he wants to us. But this is how Peter finishes his sermon in Acts 3. It should be on the screen. Uh, The last verse of Acts 3. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Jesus' plan for his people is the same as Joseph's plan for his brothers. It isn't to hurt, to crush, now that he has the power, the ability. It is to bless by changing us by rooting out selfishness and greed and jealousy. And so chapter 43, as we come back to that, as we see the hidden plan in action, is there to convince us that Jesus can. Because I imagine that like me, sometimes you despair, you look at your life, you look at things that haven't ever changed and think they probably never will change. Chapter 43 is there to show us that we can. You know when uh, you see the adverts on the tubes up above the seats or billboards or whatever it is, it's kind of before and after thing, whether it's uh, you know weight loss or hair lo- growth, uh, whatever it is that they're selling. And the before and after picture, the before one, they obviously choose a really bad case. You know, it's not just someone with a mild receding hairline, because then you're not going to be particularly impressed that he's got normal hair. Uh, it's someone who's got you know no hair and an itching scalp and it's red everywhere and everything's falling out. And then on the other side, you go, wow, okay, this gel uh, really can do what it says. Well, that is what this story is. It is the extreme before picture that we're given. Uh, so we'll see the extreme version of selfishness and greed and jealousy. And we're meant to see if the Lord can change that, if the Lord can change this family, then there's hope for all of us. Uh, 
as well, just before we get into it, let me mention this uh, book, Jerry Bridges, Respectable Sins, was reviewed from the front here a few weeks ago, suggested it might be good summer reading for some of us. It's still on the bookstall. Uh, copies of it if you want to get it. I found this helpful, actually, as I've thought about these particular sins this week. As this book, Respectable Sins, his point, basically, there are some sins that it's easy to go, well, that's awful. Uh, gosh, the people who do that, they're awful. Uh, but then some things... Like this, just a bit of jealousy, it's a bit more respectable. It's not so scandalous. We can live with it, it seems. Uh, so I found this book helpful. Uh, what I've worked out, this isn't a book to read quickly. The first time I read this, I read it quite quickly, and I was fairly unimpressed. Uh, so I just skimmed through, jealousy is bad. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, well done. Um, but actually, this week, so I've, as I've read it slowly, as I've thought about the chapters, I've prayed a little bit, Lord, where is this in me? I've seen quite a lot of things. Uh, some people receive messages from me saying sorry. Some people this week might notice that things change. So this, I've actually found this is a good book, despite not liking it the first time I read it. Uh, it's on the bookstore if you want to grab it. Um, and I'm going to quote a couple of things from him because I found it useful this week. Uh, so let's get back into the story. Again, chapter 43, and see Joseph's hidden plan in action. So the first thing, that Joseph and the Lord working through Joseph root out is selfishness. So in that book, Bridges points out selfishness. We can be selfish in a whole bunch of ways. He just gives three, conversation, time, behavior. So with that conversation, we can be selfish. Whether that's you get home after a long day and you just download on your housemates everything that that awful person said to you and how unpleasant they were. Before you've actually stopped to think, I wonder how they're doing. I wonder if this is useful for them to hear. Or when we're just half listening in a conversation, you know, waiting for that delicious moment where you get to say, yes, that's like something that happened to me, and go off with your story, which is probably more interesting than theirs. So with conversation, we can be selfish with time. Whether that's uh, being far quicker to ask a colleague to come and help with a difficult piece of work than it is to say yes when they come and ask you the same thing the next day. Whether that's sticking on another episode of the DVD box set rather than picking up the phone, giving a ring to uh, the friend who's in trouble. And then with our behavior, we can be selfish, whether it's leaving the washing up in the sink until it piles high enough that someone else is going to take care of it, or being in just too much of a rush to say thank you to a bus driver, a cashier, whoever it might be. He points out there are many others, conversation, time, behavior. And if, like me, some of those resonate with you, well, see how Joseph has dealt with his brother's selfishness. So at the beginning of chapter 43, nine, grains, nine sacks of grain has become naught. There's nothing left to do but to go back to Egypt for food. But they know they can't go without Benjamin. Joseph's been very clear. And Jacob's saying, no. He's my second favorite son. He's the favorite of my sons that are left. You can't have him. So they're at an impasse. Until we get to verse 8. Chapter 43, verse 8. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we'll go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, we could have, if we'd not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. If you're here for chapter 38, do you hear how different that is? Judah, who in chapter 38 selfishly kept back his son from the woman who he'd promised him to as her husband, is now offering his own life. In chapter 38, he gave his staff, it's the same word, as a pledge. 
same word, to a prostitute in exchange for some selfish sexual pleasure. And now he's offering his life as a pledge for Jacob's son. The Judah who was so marred in selfishness in chapter 38 is saying this, I'll give my life for him. The Lord can change our selfishness. Uh, selfishness, secondly, greed. Agreed. Which, in this story in particular, means not eating a huge amount, uh, but holding back my money to use on me, rather than being willing to give it to help someone else. Now, I know that sometimes the reason we're not generous is just that it's complicated. The world's issues are so big, and we don't know where to start, or what's going to help rather than hurt. Uh, if that's the issue, there is a series on the website, ChristChurchMayfair.org, uh, three sermons that Matt preached a couple of years ago, I think excellent, in thinking through those issues. How do we know what to do, where to do, where to start? But I think that for me, the other issue, the bigger issue probably and why I'm not generous, is just that there are certain things I've taken for granted. I've decided that I need them, and once I have them, there doesn't seem to be a lot of money left over. As a silly example, the, the flat before my current flat, the flat that I lived in uh, for about a year, didn't have running hot water. Uh, it was fine. The shower heated its own water, so that was fine. To do the washing up, you boiled a kettle. Uh, so after a few weeks, we just got used to it. It's not a hassle. It's just the way it is. slightly odd. Uh, but about a month ago, I moved. And it, it didn't take me a month <laughs> to take for granted, again, having running hot water at the turn of a tap. And it wasn't until I was thinking about this this week, it hadn't even crossed my mind to think, well, I know I can live without hot water because I've done it for a year. Uh, would it be sensible to not use it? Would it be sensible to see if I can save some money, give it to people who don't have access to any kind of running water? I, I think, actually, as I think about it, it wouldn't because boiling a kettle probably costs more than uh, a gas boiler. But uh, it struck me, I hadn't even crossed my mind to think. This thing that I knew I could live without... Suddenly I can't imagine living without it. I wonder for you if there are things that, they were a luxury, that two years ago you were quite happy without, but now you couldn't imagine not happening. It's that kind of greed that had gripped the characters in this story. But, uh, let's listen again and see how it's changed. So, uh, by verse 17, they're in Egypt. Joseph sent out his steward to invite them in for dinner. But that's not what the brothers think is going on. So verse 17. The man, the steward, did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back in our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house. Please, sir, they said, we came down here the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. So we've brought it back with us. We've also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Now, I know at first glance, that doesn't look like generosity. It looks a little more like self-preservation. And certainly they're afraid. As the steward approaches and they're pushing each other forward, no, you go and tell him, no, you go and tell him, no, you go and tell him, because they don't want to get their chop. But there is a bit more going on. See, back in chapter 42, when they first found their silver was returned, it says in chapter 42, their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? See, from the very beginning, they were afraid 
of God. It was a fear of God before there was any threat of punishment from Egypt. They're on their way home. They'd got away with it, if you like. But fear of God has turned them from the men who in chapter 37 sold their brother for 200 grams of silver into these men who bring back all the silver that was returned to them by mistake, they think. Bring it all back to trade for their brother's life. That's how it's presented in chapter 43, verse 23. It's not when Joseph sees Benjamin that he says, have Simeon back, which was the original deal. It's when the silver is given. They say, you have Simeon back. The brothers have been changed into those who will trade nine sacks worth of silver for their brother. See, greed ran deep, deep enough to sell a family member, but the Lord has turned that around. That's the before picture, that's the after picture here. And then the last one, jealousy. Jealousy. Uh, Again, let me quote from Bridges. Uh, This is pointing out, really, that we can kid ourselves that we're not jealous if we just think about our attitudes towards the super impressive, the super successful, the super rich, whatever it might be. This is what he says. An insurance salesman is not likely to envy a professional athlete who earns a multi-million dollar salary. But he may well envy another salesman who sells more insurance than he does. You see, there are some people who are just obviously a thousand times out of our league, and we're not that bothered by them. But as soon as the family next door has a nicer car, or the colleague at the next desk gets the credit for the team's work, or the person who sits next to you in the Bible study group gets the dream boy or girl, at that point, doesn't jealousy start to flare up? When we think we're equal, we're peers, we should have the same. And we don't. Or maybe when it's a sibling, which is what happens here. So by verse 32, they've made it into the house. Uh, Dinner's called, uh, called, Joseph's uh, called for dinner. And verse 32, they served him, Joseph, by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Because Egyptians couldn't eat with Hebrews, for that's detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in the order of their agents from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. See, these guys, 20 years ago, they hated their spoiled brother, Rachel's son. They hated him enough they sold him as a slave. Well, now they're at dinner, and the other one of Rachel's sons is the favoured son, the spoiled son. It says they all feasted, so uh, I don't know what a feast would be for you. Just imagine, enough food in front of you that you could call it a feast, whether that is the massive KFC bucket or whether it's something slightly more highbrow. A feast in front of you. Benjamin had five times what they had. They had a feast, and Benjamin had five times whatever you've just imagined. He is spoiled that much. And then Joseph keeps passing things down the table. Oh, Benjamin, you've got to try this last piece of boiled shrimp. Simeon, would you mind just passing that? No, not for you. Could you just pass it down to Benjamin? And yet not a word from this family, even as, verse 34, the drink keeps coming. And the mouths get a little bit looser. Isn't that when family fights normally break out? But not a word from this family. You see, that's the before and after picture. A family that was defined by selfishness, and greed and jealousy to the point where they'd kill each other, where they'd sell each other. And here's the after, feasting as a family. The Lord knows how to change his people. And if you're not convinced, you need to come back next week, because each of those things, selfishness, greed, jealousy, they get tested one more time in the story of the silver cup. But that's not for now. Uh, you need to come back next week to see that. 
Uh, for now, let's try to draw those things together. What do we, what do we see? What's for us? As we see the harsh face, the hidden plan, what is it we're meant to take hold of, take away? What can I say first? If you're here and you're not a Christian, thank you for coming. As, as Phil has said, we know through the summer there'll always be people who are here for the first time. It's always true here. If you're here and not a Christian, uh, thank you for coming. I hope you feel welcome. Do feel free to chat with people around you. Ask any questions you want, anything you think that's a bit annoying. Uh, feel free to talk to someone about it. But can I say I'd hate for you to misunderstand this, what we're saying. This story is not, is not saying that God's plan for you is just to scrub up a bit, be a bit more moral, a bit less jealous, and then God will be pleased. That is not what this story or what the Bible is saying. You see, in the story of Joseph, the climax, certainly of this section, comes next week, again, come back next week, uh, in chapter 45, where Joseph reveals who he is, where he takes off his harsh face and says, it's me. That's what the story is building towards. That's what this story says is God's plan, his deepest desire for you. That you would see who he really is. And so, if this is you at the moment, life is rough. It seems if there is a God, he's just showing you a harsh face and you don't know why. Look, I certainly don't want to be insensitive about that. But it may be, it may be, that this is the reason why. That God wants to show you who he really is, wants you to see his real face. That you'd move towards him in the pain to find peace, to find life and hope. And maybe that's what's going on. Uh, But for those of us who are Christians, I think this story gives us two things to take away. First, the first is to know that God can change you. I know when I look at my heart, I see patterns there of selfishness and greed and jealousy. That honestly, they've been there for years. They're there today. And they'll probably be there tomorrow. And you start to despair. I start to despair. Now, of course, these chapters aren't saying it'll be quick, it'll be easy, that change. They're certainly not saying that. The story of Joseph is 20 years long. They spend time in prison. It's rough. It takes a long time. But he can change. You see the before picture, you see the after picture. God can change his people. And so we don't give up. That's the first thing. The second thing, I think this story helps us to not flinch when God seems to be harsh towards us. Because the reality is that changing is painful. Stripping away jealousy, greed, selfishness, or the hundred other things that we could have talked about. Stripping away those things is painful. Sometimes the things we have to go through to change us hurt, and hurt deeply. Given the choice, the brothers wouldn't have chosen any of these things to happen to them that happened in the story, just like Joseph wouldn't have chosen anything that happened to him over the last few chapters. And I know the same will be true of things that you've faced in the last week. We wouldn't choose to go through. But there is a hidden plan. And you look at the before and the after, the brothers before, the brothers after. And I think that helps us not to flinch when it seems that God is harsh towards us because he's doing something that is beautiful, that is wonderful, that we'll thank him for. It doesn't lessen the pain of the steps along the way, but I think it helps along the way to know 
that behind the harsh face there's a hidden plan. And if this isn't pushing the story too far, behind the harsh face, Jesus weeps. Joseph wept in private. The brothers had no idea it was going on. I wonder when we get to heaven, when we see Jesus, when we see his face, might there be tear stains on the cheeks from the things he's put us through, lovingly, wisely, but tearfully, for our good to change us. I'm going to finish with this. I don't normally read poetry. I don't normally get poetry. There's nothing against poetry. There's something wrong with me, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but I heard this this week. I found this very helpful as I've been thinking about this story. Uh, we'll finish it. I'll see if, we'll see if you do as well. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mould a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed... Watch his methods, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects those he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him, to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. Should we pray together? Our Father, we praise you that we, we know from a hundred places in scripture from this story that you know what you're about. We know that our situation, our circumstances, the harsh face of heaven is not all there is. Thank you. We thank you that you've shown us what you're like behind the face, on the throne, ruling for our good, changing us for our good. And so, Father, please would you help us? Of course, for all of us, there's strongholds of jealousy and greed and selfishness and a hundred other things in our hearts. Please would you change us, shape us to be more pleasing to you, more useful to Jesus. And please along the way, give us the grace to know that you're with us, you're for us, your love for us. Please would we not doubt you. Please would we know the hidden plan behind the harsh face. Amen.